This is episode number 182 of the Rise Man podcast with Brandon Collinsworth. May all emperors be poets. Welcome back, Rising Man fam. Thank you for joining me here today. It is Jetty Azuma checking in again for another episode of the Rising Man podcast. Before I introduce my guest for today, a reminder for you to go to risingman.org slash ignite. It is our 12-week online course to help you get more clear on what do you want to create in your life? Who are you? What are you ready to fight for? And how are you going to build a strategy that will actually get you there? It's an amazing course, amazing opportunity for you to jump in today. Risingman.org slash ignite. Go ahead and get yourself signed up and we'll see you on the next call. All right. My guest for today is Brandon Collinsworth. He's a human performance coach, yoga teacher, speaker, and founder of Warrior Retreats. Growing up in Las Vegas, Brandon was in the fight of his life against poverty, violence, drugs, and alcohol. In 2002, Brandon made the pivot to go after his dreams, attracting mentors and opportunities that helped unlock his latent wisdom and gifts to help others unlock their highest expression. Brandon believes in the power of people and that it is his mission to help people remember how powerful they really are. My man, Brandon, he's amazing, dude. In this episode, Brandon and I started off by redefining the word warrior. He spoke about his orientation around this word and how he sees all of us as warriors in our own right. Brandon also spoke about the heart being our most powerful weapon and some of the lessons he learned about warriorship from spending time with members of the Maasai tribe in Africa. For those of you who are not familiar with the Maasai, they are well known for being lion hunters and they have some amazing coming of age rituals, stuff that just epic stuff. You guys got to hear what he has to say about this. We discussed the importance of initiation and traditions for boys to become men, why we must reintroduce this back into our culture. And lastly, Brandon brought some dope wisdom about ego and humility and warriorship and so much more. Without further ado, Brandon Collinsworth. All right, Rising Man family, I've got another amazing man joining me here today. This time, it is my brother, Brandon Collinsworth, coming in live from Tulum, Mexico. Good to see you, bro. Buenos dias. Thank you for being here, man. How are you feeling today? Buenos dias. Feeling blessed, grateful, honored to be here. Finally, after a few months of ping-ponging, we're here, man. Excited. Yeah, man. And ain't that the theme over the past year, right? Everybody just, we're just trying to figure it out. Just trying to do the best that we can with what we got. We don't have to go into too many of the specifics, but we battled for the past few months to get this conversation to happen. And here we are. We just never gave up. <laughs> yeah. You know, so many times people try to convey life as this straight line, but I'm sure you've seen that graph of it being like, everywhere and then you end up at the destination and they're like this is life yeah it's more like the ekg of somebody who's got like an erratic heartbeat <laughs> like if you got a pre-existing heart condition that's more about what life looks like or at least the trajectory it carries yeah, yeah. but if you stretch it out in the long term it's a straight line <laughs> yeah that's it well beautiful man i'm so so grateful to have you here on the show today shout out to ruby freeman who connected us in the first place also a powerhouse and you my man have an incredible story that i'm really excited to capture I'm sure we'll only be able to get glimpses of it, but we're going to do the best with what we can. Before we start picking that apart and getting into all of the brilliance that you are, I want to ask you the question that I ask everybody on the show, and that is, what does it mean to be a man? Great question. (laughs) For me, it's deep rooted, you know, 
for me, being a man means being a protector. It means being a warrior. It means being a lover. There's a quote that one of my master teachers, John Piel out of PSAC Peru always says, may all emperors be poets. Mm. It's a beautiful fusion of strength and heart. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we get to redefine what manhood means at this juncture in history. Mm -hmm. I feel like so many people have laid it down and that we are standing on the shoulders of giants and being catalyzed by our ancestors' prayers to actually step into a new level, a new expression of manhood right here, right now. I love that, man. I just want to repeat that quote and make sure that I got it correct. May every emperor also be a poet. Is that what it was? Yes. I love that, man. In that, what I hear is may every man with his masculine also have the feminine to balance that out, right? Because I think of emperor, I just think naturally of leadership, logic, strategy, taking care of, protecting, providing. And I think of the poet, the feminine, the water element, the creativity and expression of love and all of the other things. So I also love that you use the word warrior and heart. I'm going to shape all these pieces together. You just threw a bunch of raw materials out there and I'm going to ask you to reflect on them a little bit with me here because I created an event called Call of the Warrior. We did it back in end of 2019. It was an amazing event. Brought two of my brothers, Leon Ruri and Jamie Schuster, all the way over from New Zealand, Maori brothers of mine. And we spent a day where we got 30 men together on the beach down in Venice and we all made this commitment to do this work, to open up our hearts and share more honestly in our expression. And then Jamie and, and Leon taught us the haka, which for those people who don't know about the haka, it's a traditional Maori war dance, amazing expression of just power and energy and the mastery of what the masculine can look like. And the reason I bring this up is because the event was called Call of the Warrior. And when I started putting it out there, there's a few people who clapped back at me saying, what are you calling yourselves warriors for? Particularly veterans, like veterans who had been in combat. So I'm interested in your perspective of using that word warrior. What is it? First of all, maybe define it. What does it mean to you when you use that word? And what does it mean to be a warrior these days, in your opinion? I love that, man. And warrior for me is deep rooted as well. My social impact project in Peru is called Warrior Retreats. Mm -hmm. And for me, to be a warrior is anybody who, through courage, steps into fear to uplevel themselves or uplevel the community around them. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of a warrior, I think of one who is connected to their heart, who is driven by heart, mm -hmm. who is stepping into the shadows, who is battling the demons and the dragons of their inner world inevitably to step further and further into the light. Mm. And I feel that the warriors amongst us that do that the most often slowly ascend to quote unquote, the spaces of chiefhood. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of us, our peer group, a lot of us are stepping into quote unquote, our young chiefhoods. We're not OG chiefs with the, the huge tomahawk feathers yet, mm -hmm. but we are like young chiefs. And for me in a world that, you know, it's a lot softer in many respects. Like we got a lot easier than our ancestors. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the, it's the inner wars where we earn our, our badges of honor and our, our stripes. And so for me, it's anybody who is actively and consciously engaging in those inner wars on a regular basis. Yeah. I love that definition that you gave when you, cause when you really boil it down, that really covers all of us, right? Any of us who are in the fight of our lives, 
fighting for whatever it exactly. is, right? It becomes universal. And I also understood and empathized with these guys who were clapping back at me were coming from that. What I saw underneath that was the desire to be recognized and acknowledged and seen for the battle that they were fighting and not just the physical battle that they were fighting as veterans of combat, but the, the mental emotional toil that it takes to go to battle. Right. Right. So I understand it and I don't want to get too far off tangent, but I appreciate you giving some context for that word warrior. I really think that we are fortunate. Many of us in this world are fortunate that we don't have to go into physical combat to fight for life. Obviously there's still people who do. I'm not disregarding the people mm-hmm. who's that's their current existence on this planet, but many of us don't have that. And those of us who are still fighting for our lives are doing it on mostly on an unseen level. So let's talk about the implications that has for men specifically, where we're talking about these inner battles that we're fighting, that we're navigating, that aren't seen. In a lot of ways, it's actually a little bit easier to appreciate the effects of physical combat because you can see it, it's tangible, but the internal climate is so much more difficult to convey. So much more difficult to convey. And in a society that is predominantly been built off repression of men speaking their emotions. Mm-hmm. A lot of times those internal battles are left unprocessed where men feel like they're alone and hence the importance of community mm-hmm. and also hence the importance of recognizing that everybody's going through a battle oftentimes are unseen. So it's so important to be kind. It's so important to be inquisitive. It's so important to be open. It's so important to create the spaces for our brothers and our sisters to talk about these inner battles that are going on. Mm -hmm. And I think more than ever, I'm seeing so many men wake up to the power of community. That's why I'm so honored to be on your podcast and be connected to you because what you're doing is opening up a space for people to really process the inner wars that they have to go through. Yeah, man. Honored to have you here as well. And I also appreciate everything that you're saying because you know, before we started hitting record here, we were recognizing that there's some parallels and overlapping layers of circles in our community. Some of our mentors that both you and I have know each other and have a mentorship role in themselves. So I love what you said about the next generation of leaders, the, the young chiefs, right? Coming in and learning what we have to learn, building our kingdom so that we can take over that responsibility from the elders. That's the way it's supposed to be. And we're doing so at such an interesting time and a critical juncture in humanity where we have to figure out where did we go wrong when it comes to how we raise our boys and how we nurture our young men. And so much of it, I I love that the conversation is speaking about, well, men need to have a space where it's safe to express and experience and explore our emotions, number one, encouraging men to connect more with their heart instead of measuring ourselves by what we have or what we acquire. And one of the things that I picked out of what you said, I think it was in your bio or somewhere else that the heart is the most powerful weapon. Completely. So again, like weaving these pieces and these raw materials together, man, where does the heart fit into all of this for you? Man, the heart is, is the focal point. Mm -hmm. It's where infinite energy lies. And the way that I believe a societal structure that is lost connection with the heart suppresses people is by disconnecting them from their hearts. And so The way that so many people have been oppressed in our society, especially men, is by disconnecting them from their emotions, disconnecting them from that primordial heartbeat. And I feel like the revolution is the reconnection with our hearts. There's a term in psychology called normative male alexithemia, and it's a psychological disorder for men that basically says for a man to be able to connect with his emotions, to be able to connect 
with that more feminine essence and aspect of him. So it's actually psychologically documented mm-hmm. that there's a fundamental disorder that happens once men lose that vital connection to that heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And so for me, what I've noticed is that the heart is this great amplifier. If we go into like more Eastern methodology, it sits above the lower three chakras, our primal chakras, and it sits under our higher three chakras. So a lot of Eastern thought says it's the great connector of both our root and our ascension. Mm -hmm. And I believe that to be true. You know, that quote that I mentioned earlier, may all emperors be poets. I believe it's when a man becomes really rooted in heart is when he truly taps into his power. We've all seen the movie 300 and on the surface, 300 looks like this, like bloodbath of like hyper misogynistic men. But people don't really see that the whole entire intention and power that emanates from Leonidas is his love for his woman. Mm -hmm. It's his love for the feminine. It's this man who's inherently rooted in his heart. And when he dies at the end, he doesn't say, I'm a warrior. He says, my wife, my queen, my love, Mm -hmm. and that's it. And so I think that what's happening now is more and more men are being given permission to step into the heart. And I believe that if it's not built from heart, it's not sustainable. It's only things that emanate from this heart space, emanate from compassion, emanate from a collective regard for community that lasts. Yes, 100%, man. I'm I'm glad that you made that little anecdote to 300 is one of my favorite movies. I know a lot of people feel a certain kind of way about it and sure Hollywood did whatever it had to do to make people interested in it. But there is so much underlying messaging around what it can look like, what it can look like for a society that's bigger than any one person. Right. And here we are, man. I mean, in the United States alone, we've got what, like 380 million people. And Mm -hmm. all of us have been programmed and conditioned from a young age to fight for one person ourselves. Even a lot of these trite cliches about family first, a lot of times I find that it's just words. Because when you break it down and you look at how most people are living their lives, yeah, you could say family first, family's most important, blood is thicker than water, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, how are you really living your life? Let's look at the results. I don't blame any one person for that. I think it's part of the social construct. And so when you talk about something like 300 and you look at some of that, is an example of a man who was not just fighting for himself. He didn't care about his glory. It wasn't about him and being recognized in history. He was fighting for a way of life. Yes, protecting his woman. Yes, protecting his family, but protecting his people. And the intangible part that unites them is their way of life, their code, all of those things that I think resonate deeply, especially for men. We want that. Right. How badly do each of us want to have a code to connect to, a way of life to fight for, but we didn't get it. I didn't get that from my parents, right? My parents didn't get that from their parents. It was washed out of them when my relatives immigrated to the United States. And I know that's the case for a lot of people. So so what do you think is the role of, especially for men, having a culture or something that we can connect to that validates our purpose and reason for being here? I think it's everything. And I think that there's many layers to it. I think it starts first on an individual level, Mm -hmm. doing the work. Mm -hmm. And then as one forges that path, it turns into community. If one is open, I had the opportunity to spend some time with the Maasai warriors in Kenya Mm -hmm. two years ago. And these are the last lion hunters Mm -hmm. and their culture has been 
unaffected for thousands of years. It's the last, one of the last tribes in Kenya that still remains true to a lot of their indigenous ways. And I spent some time with the chief's son, a guy named Sebi, and he brought me into his hut that was made of cow dung. Mm-hmm. And he was just telling me about what it meant to be a warrior in his tribe, what it meant to be in camaraderie and communion with his brotherhood, what it meant to, when he was 16 years old, to go out for two years into the the Maasai Mar and survive and then come back and be welcomed home with open arms. Because we have lost a lot of that in our society, I think it's more important than ever for men to begin to proactively create opportunities to engage in certain rites of passage, in brotherhood, in community. And I think that we are seeing a resurgence of that. It's like some primordial need within each one of us is saying, yo, I need this. Mm -hmm. I need brotherhood. I need connection. I need to be challenged. I need to be activated. I know there's something deeper inside me that I haven't tapped into. And so at this juncture, the only barrier of entry into that is one's willingness to take the leap because I'm seeing it pop up everywhere. And it's almost like choose your own adventure. We're actually at a day and age where we get to choose kind of what rite of passage we want to take. What a blessing. So some people would say, well, it sucks that we are not connected to like one rite of passage. Well, now the whole crayon box of rite of passages is open and whatever one resonates the most with the person, they get to go ahead and lean into that. Oh, yeah. I love that you brought in Crayola crayons because uh, I have small children. And I know exactly what that metaphor means, right? It's like you, you put them out there. They're all neat. They're color coordinated. You open the box. And after the first coloring session, they're all mixed up. Half of them are chewed off, right? And all the colors are all mixed up. Whether you want to look at the prophecies of different tribes and traditional peoples that have been around for millennia, or you want to just look at the evidence of what's happening worldwide right now, we're essentially a global community. We are a global peoples that we're a Crayola box that's been shuffled up and shaken around and chewed and gnawed on and thrown back in the box. (laughs) And this generation, particularly, we don't know who we are. We don't know where we come Mm -hmm. from. The the resources that we have limits our ability to connect to something that feels genuine. We have what we feel in our DNA, but it's hard to quantify. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. it's not even appropriate. And I put that in quotes because, you know, the people don't feel it's appropriate to connect to something that they don't have any context for or even access Mm -hmm. to. So here we are. Right. We still have this need. Right. It's like I think initiation and rites of passage is is equivalent to the need for water and air and food. It's in us. It's in all of us instinctually. And so we have to find new ways to achieve that. And I just love what you said there, man, because it's a much deeper conversation. There's a lot of sensitivity around it because traditional ways that have existed and permeated through the membrane over all the years, despite the odds, there's a desire to protect that. And I understand that. I know we both Mm -hmm. have reverence for it. And in order for us to restore a way of being that will be sustainable, we have to provide something for our young people to make that transition from childhood into adulthood. So we've got to, I don't know if it's just recreate ways or reintroduce ways that allow us to do this for our people. So I just want to bounce that off of you for a second, see what you have to say. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think it's about recreating. I think it's about allowing for older rites of passage to evolve with the times. I think that there's a quote that one of my master teachers in Bali gave me, Mark Whitwell, and he said that sometimes you have to give people what they want so you can give them what they need. Mm. 
I think sometimes a lot of the older heads, old school, they are so stuck in what it was that they forget to allow things to evolve. I don't know if you're familiar with the, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, the Iroquois Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Federation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was a blossoming of them allowing something to evolve from their old ways into something new. Mm-hmm. And so we're not reinventing history. Mm-hmm. The things that I believe have left the most lasting impact on humanity are all evolutions of something that was old. And that something that was old was probably evolution from something that was older than that. Mm -hmm. Exactly, man. I try to remind myself that everything that we see and experience, especially on a human to human level, was made up by humans at some point, (laughs) right? Whether it was delivered to us through the experiences we witness in nature or spirit, things that we can't quantify, but it was all translated through the filter of a human at some point. (laughs) So got to remind ourselves of that too. (laughs) Everything. I mean, even when you break down the financial system and these structures that govern billions of people on this planet, it's like, oh yeah, some human made that up at one point. (laughs) It's like a reality check. That's all one has to do to like really, like sometimes I just sit in my room and I just stare at things like the cupboards, like the lights, I'm like, all of this was once just in somebody's head. And this is like miraculously become some tangible object. It's crazy. So there's proof all around us of innovation. And I think sometimes we get caught up in not innovating cultural rights. And I think that there is room for innovation in that space with great reverence. That's the balancing act. Absolutely. Yeah, you can have both. In fact, the reverence is essential. So essential. I hesitate to go, well, no, I'll go that far. It it is a human right for all of us to have land-based, nature-based rituals that connect us to where we come from. We go back far enough, every single one of us had that. It's Mm -hmm. literally in us. It's written in the guest book of our DNA from all of our ancestors. We just forgot. That's no one person's fault. It's just the trajectory of where our society has gone. So picking that guest book up again, doing the best we can to decipher the messages that were in there from ancestors past and working with what we can access in front of us. Absolutely. It's a great remembrance. A great remembrance. Yeah. I like to think of it as more of a remembering, right? Than a reinventing. Before we move into another topic, I want to just touch back. You said when you were down in Africa, you got to spend some time with the Maasai. I believe the young man was named Sebi. Sebi, Sebi. Yeah. would you just say a little bit more? You said he taught you and told you things about what it meant to be a warrior in his tribe. I'm just interested, even just like some, some bullet points or high level stuff from their perspective or his perspective. Yeah. So community was everything mm. and community meant that how they showed up couldn't be an individualistic process. It had to be rooted in consideration of the entire tribe. So everything and every person had significance in their community. And when one is rooted in tribe like that, for example, if one goes out on a rite of passage solo, the motivation might not be there to keep going. But when you know you're going to be welcomed home two years later to a hero's welcome, and they're going to see you as a man and your role is to then activate the next generation, it adds so much intention and fire to the desire to become better. Mm -hmm. And so he was telling me about that. One of the rights that they have is they have to get circumcised in public. And if they flinch, they are considered weak. So from the time they're young, they have these sticks that they put in the fire and they have all these burn marks all over their bodies. And it's training their nervous system to not flinch 
in the face of that initial moment where they get circumcised in front of their tribe to essentially step into their manhood. And then one of the most memorable aspects of the Maasai warriors is that they are considered the lion hunters. Mm-hmm. And so for so long, they actually had, as they were stepping into manhood, they had to go onto the Maasai Mar and hunt a lion. They're more eco-friendly now. So now their practices become about actually cutting a piece of hair from the mane of the lion. Mm-hmm. But he was just telling me how much that meant to him and how much his family meant to him. And it was interesting because there was not one ounce of insecurity about what it meant to be a member of his tribe. Mm. That was what stood out most for me. You know, a lot of times, like all of us are trying to figure out who we are, where we come from. And you're right. You mentioned earlier, we don't really know exactly. But when I talked to Sebi, there was no deviation. And that power that emanated from that response of like, I know who I am. I know who I serve and I know how I serve was one of the most potent things I've ever seen. And something in me activated. It brought back this like long forgotten genetic pop in me of like, whoa, this was how it once was, where you were wrapped in community, where you weren't worrying about food, where if you fell, your brothers got you, where it wasn't about money, it was about how you showed up. And from the most humble, once again, going back to heart, from the most humble, heartfelt gratitude, he just shared what it meant to be a warrior. And he was super proud. I love that you shared that humility piece because I could feel that. You just said it right at the end there, but every way you were describing it, I could feel almost like I was in that hut with you feeling the humility of this. I'm sure that you were just taking in his resume, right? Like all the things that he's gone through to get him to where he is now, cutting the hair, a piece of hair off the mane of a lion. I could imagine being there and being like, oh my God, this is impressive. (laughs) And the humility that emanates from someone, because I think there's a difference between You can have pride and be proud of who you are and what you represent without being egoic and self-centered in the traditional way that we talk about that. When there are strong traditions and cultural narratives around this is who we are and this is is what we do as a people, that also helps to dissolve the ego. We talk about all this like dissolving the ego or maybe not even destroying the ego, but diminishing its impact and doing that work alone right? Like doing the ego work alone. It's like, wait a second. So much of that comes from community because ego by definition is a focus on the self. So what is the antidote for the part of us that focuses just on the self, right? It's introducing something else to put our attention on that really matters to us, that loves us back, right? Because the ego loves us because it needs us to keep us alive. It's like a parasite to a degree. So I'm glad that you shared that piece because to make it about the community, to make it about the people and the honor, it becomes so much easier to put ourselves on the line when we really have people and an idea, like a culture that we're protecting so much more worth fighting for than just ourselves. Absolutely. Such profound insight and dissemination of that whole entire experience. It almost sounds like an ego is an emanation of what happens when somebody's lost connection with community. Mm -hmm. The ego then basically perpetuates an individualistic pursuit because of its loss. Yeah. I'd actually, I don't want to declare this to be a fact because I don't know, I can't reference it in my mind, but I do believe that there's at least one traditional indigenous tribe of peoples that don't even have a word for I or me. (sighs) 
I've heard that as well. So there's the word for the people. I can't remember which tribe it is at the moment, but there's a word for the people. And basically everybody introduces themselves as part of the people. Like I am the people. Mm-hmm. We, there's no I in it. It's just I'm the people. You're the people. We are the people. Everything is this. And the names that they have to differentiate each other are just names that don't represent an individual entity. It's a part of a whole. It's an expression of the people. It's not like you belong to the entirety of it. So even just that, the naming of ourselves, the nurturing of an identity, I used to think that it was, I was like, oh man, this Buddhist stuff, because I studied Buddhism for a while. I was like, oh, just like kind of dissolving the ego, letting that go entirely. It seems like it would be a big leap. And I think maybe that's the hard part is expecting that we can go from a massively ego-driven society to zero ego. That's a lot of work for one Mm -hmm. lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) For one human. (laughs) So what are your thoughts on that, man? What do you think it looks like for us to actually move towards this in the span of one lifetime? What's the expectations for one lifetime, your life, my life, and then multiple lifetimes, generations? Yeah, I think that the ego is fascinating to me because I often wonder if like Muhammad Ali didn't have an ego, Mm -hmm. would he be Muhammad Ali? Or if Martin Luther King didn't have an ego, would he be Martin Luther King? I think the ego is destructive when it's not led by the heart. Mm. I think that when the heart is in the driver's seat, the ego, the I am, the my personality, this my genetic code, this is what I feel. I feel like when the heart is in the driver's seat, one can then begin to harness the ego and the ego loses its ability to destruct. Mm. And it kind of becomes a support system for the intentions of the heart. Mm. And I know that's kind of like, that's a philosophical statement in a lot of ways. Again. I feel like the pursuit of losing the ego automatically puts a lot of those on the spiritual path on this endless pursuit Mm -hmm. of changing themselves to something that's outside of themselves, Mm -hmm. the path of enlightenment. I need to become better. I need to get to heaven. And the reality is, is I don't feel like God creates defunct products. Mm -hmm. We are the cosmos that have manifested into human form. And so everything we are is exactly what we are supposed to be. And I think the great, remembrance is just to remember to put the heart in the driver's seat and therefore the ego will then fall in line and life takes on a completely different hue when we're moving from a space of compassion rather than I. I asked you if there was one thing on your heart you wanted to make sure we conveyed to the men who were listening and you said you wanted to speak about self-love for men and you talked about Mm -hmm. the difference between two things the acquisition of things and materials and accolades that define who we are and then self-love in the way that we just appreciate that we are enough already. So say a little more about that. Cause I feel like that's right where you were going just now with that last piece that you shared. Yeah. You know, it's been a 36 year journey of like being enough and coming from the streets, coming from the hood. I thought that me acquiring societal success, the accolades, the certifications, the trainings, the just the pedigree was inevitably going to lead to more love. Mm. It was like success and love are supposed to live in the same space. And I got there and I was at that space of quote unquote, having societal success and there was still a lack of love. Mm. And it really was a humbling moment of me being at my all time, quote unquote, most successful in society, but at the same time being just as empty as I was or more empty when I had nothing. And so the journey since 2015, when I really started to see that there was a disconnect The journey has been to fall in love with what is already there. Basically, it took me 18 years 
from the time I was, you know, I decided to get out of the hood to this moment to realize that the love I've always been seeking is already here inside me. Mm. And so that's really been the work over the last year is to fall in love with what I am as I am, not my pedigree, not my travel, wherever I've been, not quote unquote, my resume, but just as is, I am enough. And so often we lose sight of the fact that we all are miracles. Like there never has been and never will be again another me, never has, never will begin another you. And in that very vein of being one of one, of being priceless, of being completely miraculous expression of love, that right there should be enough for us to fall in deep self-love. But for some reason, we have not. And I believe one of the ways that society also controls people is by putting them on this endless treadmill to pursue something outside of themselves instead of falling in love with what they are. Mm. And what I've learned is when one starts to really fall in love with who they are, they really start to believe they are worthy. So they start to make decisions that reinforce that self-love and worthiness. And that happens to be community and family and health and well-being and taking care of the environment. And the quote I love is, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. So Gandhi had it right when he said, like, let's be the change. So many people are caught up in trying to figure everything else out. But if it's all a reflection of us right here from a non-selfish space, and that's the fine line, that inner work, that inner self-love, I believe is the gateway to a higher level of love. Oh man, that last piece there really hit for me because it made me think about myself and my children where the acquisition game is a me thing. It's a one lifetime perspective. How much can I acquire? How much, how much can I put on my resume before I pass on to secure my legacy of the self, of who I am, of the identity that I protect and preserve. But if I instead choose to make it about my children and the being in the moment, right? Because even in something as simple as how I choose to spend my time, and how I am with adversity. I can muscle myself forward. I can motivate myself through stress, which I still fall into, right? The human part of me falls into that often. But when I have my children there, it reminds me that, well, I can do this and get the result for me, or I could pay more attention to how I'm being with this in a way that's gonna support my son and my daughter having healthier habits than I ever could, having a better life than I ever could. And that's the part that lives on that goes forward. That's so powerful. The knowledge of that doesn't make it any easier. (laughs) It's like the the keystone moment I'm having right now is like, oh yeah, that's that reminder that what really matters is how I'm being everywhere in my life. It doesn't matter. My family's taken care of. Baseline needs, we're good. I can make up a whole bunch of stories that would drive me into that stress mind of I'm not doing enough. I'm not enough. I need to do more and drive myself over a cliff with that. And I know that a lot of guys do it. I've talked to thousands of them, man. We all play mm-hmm. the same game in our head. And I'm sure it's not just men, but we're talking about men right now. Mm-hmm. And in every single one of those examples, I know that there's an opportunity somewhere to have that moment of clarity of how do I want to be with this? How do I want to yeah. be with this? Cause that's really the thing that I'm passing on. There's, if we want to think of it as, as a will and trust that you're leaving behind for future generations, it's the examples of how we're choosing to be not the, materials that we're going to hand off someday. So powerful. It's like an energetic will. There you go. That's it. That's it right there, man. And you don't have to have your own children for that to still be powerful. It is. It's energetic. These are all our kids. <laughs> the next generation, they're, we, they're, right. they're all ours, right? It's the only thing that we can all claim ownership to, you know, or responsibility for is, is probably better right. said. 
And we're all doing that, even if they're not your own kids, man. Aunties and uncles, the biggest influence, you know, just as big as fathers and mothers on kids and their development. So yeah, we all get to take responsibility for what we're handing forward. Amen. Yeah, man. Beautiful, bro. Well, time flies. This was an amazing conversation. You know, it definitely went in some directions I wasn't anticipating, but I love where it went, man. You, you're such a well of wisdom in your life experience. There's so much more. Like I said in the beginning, we're only going to dip into the well. We'll have to come back and do another one sometime. I would love to. It'd be an honor. Beautiful. Thank you for everything you do, bro. Likewise, man. Likewise, I have so much respect for what you do and grateful for Real Recognize Real, you know, so it definitely has that feeling for me. So let's put the bookmark in here for a moment. I'm going to ask you a few closing lightning style questions and then we'll catch some of your info at the end. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, man. So what is one thing you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? It's a great question. That it's always going to be all right. Mm. That I am batting 1000 when it comes to making it through tough times. Mm -hmm. And that when tough times hit, although it feels like it's the end of the world, it's never been the end of the world. I love it, man. And now without going into a story, what would you say is the singular, most significant life experience, life moment you had that helped you become the man you are today? I think the moment I walked away from all of my gyms in uh, Las Vegas in 2016 and lived out of a backpack for five years, traveled to 50 countries. That's a powerful one. That's a good teaser for an episode two. (laughs) Yeah. Let's do it. Awesome, man. And last but not least, where can people go to follow you, find you, get involved with your warrior retreats? Tell us where to go. Amazing. Yeah. Most of my stuff is on Instagram. It's where kind of I live. Brandon Collinsworth at Brandon Collinsworth. You can work out with me, do my yoga classes on the Nike Training Club app. And you can also listen to my lectures on the Do You Mind app. It's the first ever uh, emotional social network where people can go and tap into therapists and all that stuff for free. And then Warrior Retreats is my annual curated rite of passage from the Amazon to the Andes. And that's warriorretreats.com site currently under construction, but we're going to relaunch it on July 7th. So that's me in a world in a nutshell. That's beautiful, man. I love it. I love your body of work. I can't wait to learn more about you and experience more of your brilliance in the world, man. Once again, thank you for your tenacity and making this conversation happen. It was well worth the wait. And yeah, man, I look forward to dropping in with you in all the different ways that we will in the future. Hey, man, I appreciate you, bro. All right, everybody, make sure you swing over to risingman.org to get links and resources for this episode and every episode. Go check it out today. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us and check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement for content that you will not hear on the podcast. Go check out that YouTube channel today. Also give us a follow on Instagram at rising man movement. We appreciate the follows. We appreciate the messages. We appreciate the reviews, ratings, all the likes and love that you guys keep giving us. Thank you to everybody out there who's helping us keep spreading the rising man mission, keep spreading the rising man word. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. 